Äh, guten Tag, mein Name ist Urs Rechel. Ich begrüße euch ganz herzlich zu, zu dieser Show von Lightsource. And welcome to episode 29 of Lightsource, the official podcast of studiolighting.net, the website that introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On this episode, it's a, well, it seems like we just recorded the other night, and uh, we're releasing our next show already. We have a interesting opportunity. We were able to get a hold of, and I'm going to try and get the Swedish version of his name, Urs Recher. I, I botched it, didn't I? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the American version is Urs Recker, and he was recently featured in Digital Photo Pro magazine in the September-October 2006 issue. Uh, on the cover, uh, the article was titled, A Guru's Tips and Tools for New Lighting Looks. He works with Broncolor Equipment. He is one of their technical equipment guys and goes around doing seminars and workshops for different lighting techniques for Broncolor, and he is in America right now doing a workshop just finished up in Chicago. And Tuesday, he will be in New York at Calumet as well. So if you have the opportunity to be in the area for those, stop by and tell Urs that you heard about it here at studiolighting.net, the light source. Uh, with that said, let's uh, let's go ahead and roll the interview, and, and we will see everybody on our next show at the normal scheduled time on December 1st. Well, in this edition of The Light Source, we have with us, uh, and I hope I don't butcher your name, Urs Recker, a photographer with Broncolor, and uh, he is from Switzerland, is that correct? I'm from the very northern part, from Basel, yes. Okay. The... Well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, now, it's it's amazing to have uh, someone of your caliber on the show with us. I have seen uh, in a recent issue of Digital Photo Pro on the cover you were referred to as a guru, and yeah, in the article itself you were referred to as a master of illumination. And from the samples I've seen, that's not far off the mark. Okay. Yes. Whatever I know about lighting, I'm I'm happy to to tell to to share with you guys. The one quote that struck me off of the the front of the article was when you said about lighting is the most important tool for creative photography even more so than aperture and focal length. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your views on lighting. Um, with photography, I have two parts, which is a technical part and a creative part. And for me, as I wrote in the article, the, the lens and the, the digital bag and the aperture and the, maybe the shutter speed, this is more for me like a, a technical part of photography. I know that the camera has to work correctly, the picture has to be sharp, it has to be correctly exposed, but even if a picture is sharp and uh, the contrast is reasonable, is printable, I still can make a, a terrible shot and whether a photograph is good or not, does not only depend on technical aspects but as well on creative as aspects. And for me, the, the creativity in photography comes much more from the light side than from uh, than from the camera side and from technical part. The uh, aperture could be important that I have a control over the depth of field, for example, but it does create less emotion in a shot that, than light can do. So lighting for me is, re is really the most central tool to, to create the photography. I would completely agree with that. Now, how did you get started with learning the, the technical aspects of lighting that you, you work with today? What I did is probably the, the most common way to become a photographer in, in Switzerland, which is a, an apprenticeship. This is an education that lasts four years. I spent one day a week in the School of Arts in, in Basel, 
And the other four days a week, I was uh, assisting in a studio. This was a big fashion studio in Basel, in my hometown. This takes four years, and then you get a paper where it's written on that you're now a photographer, but to be honest, nobody actually cares about this piece of paper. <laughs> and after this, I just started assisting to open the horizon, to see different possibilities on lighting, on using cameras, on using equipment, and uh, just picking out whatever I wanted, and then sooner or later to getting my own style. What were some of the particular lessons that really impacted you early on about light? What really had an impact on me before uh, and, and the very early years that uh, I had or I was told to follow strict rules in lighting, you know, like a portrait, let's say uh, a fashion shot for men, the light has to come from the right side. When you shoot fashion for, uh, for a woman, the, the, the main light has to come from, from the left side. Portrait has a contrast of about one and a half f-stops between main light and fill-in light. And all these strict rules were a big part an important part of my early education and especially finishing this education and then starting assisting with top European photographers. This uh, really was, was a shock first because they didn't care about all these rules. <laughs> they didn't care about the uh, contrast. They didn't care about exposure. They were just looking at the Polaroid at this time or uh, nowadays at the, at the preview on, on the screen and they just try to make uh, nice pictures and leave the technical part far behind and really just working a lot more with the eyes than, than uh, with the brain, let's say. This change, you know, to to have first the, the basic education, to be able to have a reasonable contrast, to be able to control the depth of field, maybe to be able to handle a, a, a view camera and uh, control the perspective and, and all these things. This makes sense, and it, it's important that I have this theoretical knowledge in my in my back head. But uh, as I said before, it's, it's by far not enough to, to get good photography, to get good pictures. One of the things that you said in the article um, was that you like to use light modifiers in, uh, in ways that are maybe not traditional exactly. in order to give fresh looks to the photos. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, that's uh, something very, very important in, in, in my eyes. I'm involved in, in the product development, especially of light shapers at, uh, at Brown Color. And whenever we have, let's say, a new light shaper, many photographers, they ask me, what is it for? Uh, what is this light shape for? And what I always tell them, it's for photography. It's, it's light, <laughs> it flashes. But whatever I light with it, that's absolutely open. I can use uh, still life tools to, to make a beauty shot, or I can make, uh, I can use a, a originally a, a fashion tool, let's say like, like the, the Para FB we have, the, the big, uh, focusable umbrellas. I can use this as well for a, for a food shot or for, for a still life shot. That's not forbidden. And what I have to do when I use equipment differently on a different field or uh, with different angle, different distances, um, this always forces me. I have to look at the light again. I have to open my eyes. I have to look what's happening in front of the camera. When I shoot everything always the same way, as, as I said before, when I follow these six rules, main light 45 degrees, f-stop one, uh, fill-in light one, f-stop under and so on and so on, I don't get new lighting uh, effects. I'm always running down the same streets I, I've been running down for uh, many, many years, and uh, it's a kind of boring. But when I, let, let's talk about the, the light stick, for example, this is just a, a linear flash tube. 
it's originally designed for, let's say, furniture photography to reach corners in my picture or in my setup, setup where I actually, uh, it's difficult to, to put any light to, but I can just as good to shoot uh, a beauty shot with this. And I think uh, when I'm not wrong that uh, one of these pictures is, is uh, publishing this article as well. Yeah, I think it is. So you're applying light sources that were designed for furniture and you're using them in, in beauty and fashion photography. That's really cool. Exactly. Yes. And this, uh, as I said, this, when I do this, I don't know at the beginning of the shooting what's going to happen. So I really have to look and I, may, I have to make the decisions with my eyes. Is it good? Is it not good? Shall I keep on working or maybe maybe the idea I have is not good. I, it really cannot be used for this or that effect. Then, then I change it, but at least I, I, I keep on working with my eyes and look what's happening in front of the lens with the light. So for someone with a little less experience, what are some things that they should look for in a photo when they're shooting like that? Are you looking for shadows or, you know, can you tell us what you mean when you're just talking about using your eyes to, de to determine that? Yes, I think when you go to the studio, you should have at least the idea what kind of emotion, what kind of picture you would like to, to achieve. And you just, me too, I just try it somehow. I, I start the shot with a, a possible solution and then I have to be very honest with myself. I have to look at the shot and be honest with myself. Is it what I want? Is it 100% what I want or is it just 90% from what I want. And if it's 90%, I have to keep on working. But as I said, this is more an emotional, an emotional work. It's, it's less technical. Of course, all the technique has to come afterwards. I have to check. Is my shot focused? Is my, uh, my digital file, is this printable? Is the, do I have detail, printable detail in the white? Are my shadows not too dark? And all this, this comes, well, but this comes in the second step. First of all, I have really to work with emotions. Um, do I get what I want, what I want to achieve, do I see it on the screen? So in my eyes, the key point, what that's what I mean when I talk about working with the eyes. When you're saying about working with your eyes and you're looking at a photo, now I know you said that you have an idea of the mood that you're trying to create. Mm -hmm. Do you actually see the picture in your head before you start trying to develop it, or is it something that you kind of mold like a sculptor would? The picture is not ready. This depends on especially talking about people's photography, this depends as well on the model, let's say, on the on the face in front of the camera. So it's not entirely ready. I, I'm still open to to go in different directions, let's say, about whether I go high-key or low-key, for example. This, this is clear, but uh, anyway, uh, whether I have small adjustments contrast-wise, perspective-wise, whether I take a little bit more of the body on the picture or a little bit less, whether I make a close-up or not, these doors, I always keep them open before the shooting. But uh, as I said, I would like rather to create an emotion. The, the picture touches us in, in a certain way. But uh, how I achieve this, I, I don't have it actually completely ready. I know the way I start. I know how uh, how I set up the, the, the first try. But then I, I keep all the doors open to go in, in all different directions. Getting to equipment here real quickly, I, you had mentioned that you are a Brana Colors internal advertising photographer, extensive product tester, and head of the Worldwide Workshop and Seminar Program. Yes, that's correct. I should also mention that Urs is coming to us right now from Chicago, where he just finished up a workshop at uh, Calumet Photo. Uh, next week, he will be appearing in New York as well, giving more workshops as well. So if you have an opportunity, please stop by and check those out. But how did you make a move from going in from a studio photographer to a position like this at Broncolor? 
I was first during several years after education. I had uh, my own studios running in uh, South America. I was shooting three years in, in Chile, in Santiago. Then I went back to Switzerland and I had there as well the, my studio running for about three we, uh, three years. And after this, this was the, where I had to take the decision whether I go, let's say, uh, whether I go for um, serious working that I go for equipment, that I, I buy a studio, that I really go for it in Switzerland as an independent photographer. But exactly at the time where I had to make up my mind, uh, a bronze color was actually looking for somebody who could take the photography department. This was first uh, was a trial and it, for me it uh, was a wonderful deal because I work as an advertising photographer, let's say on a, on a daily basis, but I as well can do all, all the traveling. This is something I, I did all my life that I like uh, very much. So it uh, was a wonderful opportunity and I just took it and I'm very happy that I took it. And I do this for, I started in May uh, 98, I started, so it's going to be nine years soon uh, uh, since I do this job and I didn't regret it so far. It sounds like an amazing opportunity to, to be able to work with all of the, the Broncolor line and, and educate uh, everyone all around the world as well on it. For our listeners that may not be familiar with Broncolor, um, they are kind of the, the Rolls-Royce or the Ferrari of the, the lighting product line. They have some uh, amazing products, and uh, we saw them when we were up at the Photo Plus Expo in New York, and one that really captured Bill and I's attention was the Para Umbrella. Yes. It says that it's a focusable light source. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about how that works? Um, yes, I can try it. It's, it's something very, very complex. <laughs> uh, we, we, we describe uh, the power FB, we describe it as a, as a lighting system. It's not a, sim, uh, a simple light shaper like a softbox could be or like a, a normal reflector is. It's a very, very adjustable and versatile light shaper. As I said, it, it's almost like a lighting system. Uh, you have different parameters you can change and all these parameters, they change the light characteristic a lot. The most important parameter is the one you mentioned, it's the, the focusing. So in the end, the, the umbrella is parabolic umbrella with a highly polished surface, highly polished reflector. And when I have the light shape or the light source, which can either be a normal lampet or a ring flash, when this is in the center, uh, in the center of the of the parabolic umbrella, I have like a huge spot. I have a parallel light of about plus minus two meters. So uh, I we have uh, three different diameters: one meter seventy, two meters twenty, and three thirty. So this light, when it's focused, it's very directed. It's almost parallel, but for the size, because it's so very big, it doesn't become hard. So it can be described as a as a soft spot. It's a very unconventional light, this being very strong, being very directed, being very spotty, but soft at the same time. And the other thing is at least as extraordinary when I defocus it, which means I take the lamp head further out, almost close to the opening of the umbrella. What happens is that because it's polished, because it's shiny, the center of the umbrella actually turns dark. And what's remaining is like a huge ring flash. Huh. And so this means that the nature of the light, I have the, the umbrella has 24 segments, which means I have basically 24 hard light. Every reflection is not bigger than the, than the opening of a normal reflector, which is normally very hard. So I have 24 hard lights, but they are in a soft setup surrounding the camera or at least very, very big. So it is like a, a crispy 
cloud of light. That's maybe a, a nice description. Wow. You know, it is it is soft, but it's not like soft like dead soft like a like an indirect light or like a diffuse light or or just a too big a softbox too close, which is killing all the structure of the skin or the texture of a maybe even a fruit shop. It keeps crispy. It keeps very structured, but at the same time, it is very, very soft. And uh, if this is not enough, we have three different diffusers to put on. Also, <laughs> diffuser one, two, and three. One and two, they're only diffusing a little bit of the light. Diffuser three is closing quite a lot, so it uh, can convert para as well to uh, a softbox, a very big softbox, or something in between uh, an open reflector and a softbox when we use these semi-transparent uh, diffusers. Finally, if I know how it's working to uh, the paralyte, I can play with the angle, I can play with the distance, and all this has influence on the contrast, on the shadows. So as I said, when, when I just, again, when I just open my eyes, when I just look what's happening in front of the camera, I can do entire shots and even, even very, very complicated setups uh, with only one light. The last thing I, I would like to mention is the first picture on this TPP article. Uh, which is showing this new shot. You have seen that the, in this situation, the PARA SD umbrella is actually just straight behind the camera, but nevertheless, it shows an unbelievable three-dimensionality. Even parts which are, which are facing straight to the, the camera, even there, I see every little detail. I see the muscles. I see uh, a fall of the light uh, on the body. So it's uh, very, very three-dimensional and uh, so unbelievably easy to handle. So that image, that the light is coming right from the front. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> it's amazing because exactly. it's coming it from the front. Look like, you know, it looks directional. It, <laughs> it is actually, but in the end, again, it is directional because I, I used the light, the para FB defocused, and the camera is right in front of the umbrella. But the center, when I defocus, uh, the center gets dark, and I take the light to the peripheric of the umbrella. So I have a huge ring flash surrounding the lens at about one and a half meters distance. Wow. So, which means I have 24 side lights. And obviously these side lights, they are shaping the object perfectly all around in all four directions, up, down, left, right. I can move with the camera because behind the photographer, there is no light, so I can make a full body shot. <laughs> I can go at half the distance. I don't make any shadows. So That's uh, amazing. It is, yes. It seems like the kind of modifier that could take a lifetime to master, though. <laughs> it, it takes some practice, yes. But uh, as I said, uh, I, I always encourage the photographers just to play with it, you know, to take a couple of hours off and really just to play with it, to play, to change the distance, to change the focus and just watch what's happening. And if you know these uh, couple of parameters, what's happening, if I change the angle, if I change the focus, if I use diffusers, if you know how to handle these these parameters, it, it's an addictive toy. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> now, Urs, another product that's very popular in the Broncolor line is the ring flash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ring flash is becoming a little more common or at least accessible to many photographers. But it has a bit of a reputation for being cliche from what we've heard. Yep. You seem like you have a fresh look at what you can do with the ring flash. It seems like something you would think is a very versatile tool. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can talk about the ring flash, yes, for sure. When we use the ring flash, simple, just straight on the model at the main light, it, 
it is a light that is not very changeable. And uh, you might have heard before that I like a lot when I can modify my light, when I can play with the light. And it's right that the, the ring flash maybe is a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit always the same when I use it straightforward as a main light. But uh, we try to improve this now and we have actually just recently, we have produced uh, honeycomb grids as well for the ring flash. Huh. So far, the ring flash was always either slightly, slightly center weighted or very, very even. But now we have uh, three different kinds of honeycomb grids actually to put on the ring flash. And additionally, the angle of the ring flash can be adjusted independent from the camera. So I can actually direct the ring flash lights to the space or to the place in the shot where I need it. Hmm. So um, it's uh, actually now a very, very versatile light shape. I, I can I can modify, I can play with the light again, I can direct it I, uh, to, to the place where I actually need it. It's not always the same. But this is one thing about using the, the ring flash as a main light. But to be honest, most of the time I use it more as a fill-in light. And as a fill-in light, the, the ring flash is, is a wonderful tool. The characteristic of the light is, first of all, it's, it's a hard light. So again, it doesn't destroy the structure in my shadows if I use it as a fill-in light because it's, it's a hard nature. Second, the, the light is very, very close to my, to my camera and it even follows the, the camera when I move with it. So which means it goes everywhere. It's a light which is very close to the lens and obviously it's coming from the same perspective like the lens is shooting. And this means that it goes everywhere. So nothing is hidden from the ring flash. And in the end, you will see that if you shoot with the ring flash, the, the center of a body or of an object is rather flat, but the contours, the edges of the, the object, of a body, of a, of a product, they are nicely shaped. They have a little bit of a gradation, not as strong as with para, but they have the same effect. It's a circular light around the lens. So it's basically the same. This means that the light, which is going everywhere in my setup, additionally, forms the shadows. It's not flat like a, like an indirect, like a big softbox behind, uh, behind the lens or something indirectly bounced. It's a very, it's a very hard and uh, a shaping feeling light that goes everywhere. It's a wonderful tool, especially as a feeling. Would it make sense to use the, uh, the ring flash as a fill with a soft main light? What would that be like? This would make sense. Yes, absolutely. That, that's possible. Yes. As a, as a main light, I can do, uh, Whatever I, I have to do in this shot, this can be a spot, but this can be just as good a, a soft main light. And then I just uh, put a little bit of, of sparkling hard light all over the shot, especially in the shadows with the ring flash. So that's uh, absolutely a very good combination, yes. I was looking through the bronze color catalog that we picked up at uh, Photo Plus Expo and was reading a little bit in the segment there about talking about the bronze color lighting systems. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between higher-end equipment such as like Broncolor versus you know, more value-priced strobe units? Okay, that's uh, of course that's uh, a never-ending story. <laughs> okay, just a, a couple of ideas, you know. Our strobes, they have uh, some of the the power packs. They have adjustable flash durations, for example. So uh, I can work with different flash durations in my setup. I can either freeze movements or I can allow a third amount of movement. The second thing is that we have an unbelievable power range. So with the newest power packs, we have up to eight f-stops of power range. 
seven wow, f-stops wow. of, of those are actually usable asymmetry. What I do, for example, now in, in these seminars and workshops here at, at the Calumet is that I talk about the position of the light. Where do light shapes have to be? It's not only a question about taking the right light shape, but as well to, to put it on the right position. And let's say I have a lot of control about uh, over my light when the light, uh, light shapes are very close to an object. And this, of course, makes it important that I can adjust the power of the light shaper, that I don't have to change the distance to, to adjust the power. So it's sometimes very, very important that I can go very low with the power. And with the, with the newest power pack, with Severso uh, A2, we have uh, not more than 4.7 joules or watt-seconds, which is the same, which is a little bit of nothing light, you know. But this allows me, let's say, with a ring flash, which is very, very strong, I can make close-ups with a ring flash, and I don't have to shoot this at 22 or at 32, but I can shoot it at a reasonable f-stop, 5.6 or 4.0, whatever. Wow. So that, that, that's uh, very, very important, and of course, uh, this uh, justifies as well uh, the price. Another thing is constancy, uh, the constant of the light, that uh, when I have, for example, a multiple pop um, cameras, that all the three or four exposures are exactly the same, that they don't have any color shift or a chessboard effect, that's very important that all the flashes are just as bright. Precision, that when I, let's say, shoot white and white fashion, it is important that I have on the background exactly, let's say, half a stop or maybe two-thirds of a stop more light than on the model. In the end, we can adjust the light in steps of one-tenth of an f-stop, so I can go very, very precisely in my lighting. Now, these are some of the most important differences for me now for, again, low-budget light equipment. Those are some great points. If you met someone who was just getting into lighting, or is, mm-hmm. what would be your, your recommendation in terms of equipment for them to start with? Would you tell them to save for a high-end equipment or just get their hands on something to start learning light? What would you tell them? Well, the first of all, I would, uh, I would ask him what he's actually shooting, people or, or products. Let's say people, for example. On, on people, I would definitely advise to go from the very beginning on, on high-end products. But it's, it's an investment for a lifetime almost, you know. And uh, even if he doesn't have the, the budget, you know, when you come from education, maybe you don't have the budget to completely equip your studio. But to go for uh, the most important equipment first. And if you have a big job or whatever, you can still rent whatever you need, if this is a para or a special light shape, if you would like to have a, a special effect with a ring flash or uh, you need a, a strip light, um, light shapes that you don't need on a daily basis, you know, you can still rent them when you have the, the according job. In my eyes, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you start with uh, lower quality equipment that that doesn't make you happy and then after a couple of years you have to try to, to, to sell it again and go for, for, for the right stuff. So rather a little less at, at, at the beginning, but, but the right stuff. What would be one type of light that you would say, okay, if you're going to invest in something as a beginning point, go buy this? I would go for soft boxes and normal reflector with grids. That's okay. the most essential tool. You know, the soft boxes, that's as well something I, I talk about uh, during the, the seminars, that the potential of soft boxes. I don't have to use the soft boxes in the same way all the time. I can play with the distance, the angle is very important. So the soft boxes, they have an unbelievable potential, uh, potential in, in, in shaping the light. I can flag them halfway, I can 
use them over a very big distance. I can use them very, very close. And uh, in combination with uh, normal reflectors, I can use them indirectly, I can use them directly, I can put grids on normal reflectors. So when I have, let's say, two or three lamp heads, two normal reflectors and grids, and one or two uh, soft boxes, I can do really a lot. I sometimes make as well seminars for uh, if we have a starter kit, you know, uh, what can what can be done with three compact units and an umbrella and a softbox and normal reflector and the limitations are there are almost no limitations i can shoot all day long different setups completely different lightings with the most basic tool if i just as i said before keep my eyes open look what's happening and try out uh, new things new angles new distances new setups so as i said normal reflector great softbox is that for me the key point two or three lamp heads and the asymmetrical power pack could be talking about brown could be uh, the graphite A2 or graphite A4. If I have a lot of location work to do, could be the battery operated pack, that's the Verso, which has uh, three outlets as well and uh, is asymmetrical as well. I have a, a little bit of a personal request from you as well. I currently have two soft boxes and some reflectors and grid setups with, with the lights that I've been using. Okay. And I, I like a lot of the style of light that you've been using as well with some of the like these examples in the articles that, that we're talking about are some of the things that I've been trying to achieve myself. Yes. What would you recommend as my next light shaper that I should probably take a look at? We're still talking about people photography, yeah? Yes, yes. Still, yeah, people, portrait, kind of uh, fashion, glam type look. That's pretty much the, the style that I've been looking at lately. Yes. So I say, if, if you figured out the potential be behind a softbox and normal reflect with grids, one obvious option is the Para FB. That, of course, gives you just another, I don't know, 20, 30 different light characteristics into your studio. <laughs> so that's definitely uh, an option. For me, it's it's important that all the light shapes are very versatile, you know, that I can play with them. And, and Para, of course, is the, the best example for this. If I would say that you should go for a strip light, this is much more specified, much more specialized, these kind of light shapes. So I would rather go for a light shape that gives you many, many different possibilities. Of course, the, the best example for this is a Para. Kind of interested to hear you say that because I was actually, uh, a strip light was kind of my thinking of where I wanted to go next. So I was thinking it might be fairly versatile, but you might be right. It might be uh, a little bit more limiting and should probably be looking at more versatile types of lighting. It's the strip light is very, very small. It's a very small light shaper. Uh, there is one example as well in, in, the, in the article you mentioned. But uh, as I said, the, the strip light, especially the small strip light, which is 60 centimeter long, I would say that we can use this reasonable at for half body shot. But if we would like to, to, to shoot a group once in a while to make full body or a close up on, on a portrait, we should have a light that uh, covers this as well. With a small light shaper like the strip light, maybe this limits us a little bit too much. It's a wonderful thing, but as I said, it's not the next step after after softbox. It's a it's a special light. It's a very much specialized light. It's wonderful to work with it, but in my eyes, it's not the next step. Oh, okay. What about the difference between fashion shooting and portrait shooting in terms of lighting equipment? Would you have a different setup for the more classic portrait than you would for like a fashion modeling type of uh, photo shoot? Um, basically, it's uh, I, I treat it pretty much the same, these two kind of setups. The only thing is that I on a portrait, 
I dare or I do work a little bit more precisely with the light. On, on a portrait, I can fix the model on a chair. Maybe I can adjust the light to a very small area where it has to be perfect, so plus minus 10 centimeter left, right, forward, backward. While in a fashion shop, I would like the models, I would allow them to move. I can't make a cross on the floor and say, that's the position, don't move, you know, then, then I lose all the spontaneity. However, on, on, a, on a portrait shot, I, I think I can do this a lot better because I can actually put the chair down. I can adjust my light. And when the, when the model gets nervous, we can go uh, somewhere to drink coffee and then we, we can come back and, uh, and, and make the shot in, in this maybe very interesting light, but a very precise lighting, which is only, as I said, good maybe in, in a very small area. But as I said, on, on a fashion shot, I wouldn't do this. I would really like the, the models to be to be able to, to move freely in the setup. Otherwise, I I lose them. I lose the spontaneity of the shot and it uh, doesn't come to a good end, I guess. Well, speaking of being spontaneous, I've heard that you do not use light meters. Do you want to tell us about that a little bit? But I don't use light meters. Do you use them? Um, not anymore, actually, no. In very, <laughs> no, in very few occasions, I use them. But uh, this doesn't mean that I don't need my light. I have a, a screen, you know, uh, at home in my studio that I know very well. And if I have average contrast, average brightnesses in my shot, I just look at the screen. That's good enough point. And if I go to the limit, if I have a low key or if I have, as I mentioned before, white fashion on white background, then first, again, I work with my eyes until I like the shot. But then I have with, with the, the info picker, I have precise I analyze the shot, but not with a light meter, but with a software. This is much more precise than before. And if I analyze the file, it as well takes, uh, takes into consideration the brightness of the object itself. If I have a dark skin or a, a very bright skin or a dark dress uh, or, a, or a white outfit, the light meter doesn't know what's happening in front of the lens. But when I analyze the digital file, then all these elements are involved. And let's say that I take a, a white background that I want to appear uh, white in the picture. I just put it on a 250 white, for example, and the shirt or the model in front of it, I put this on, on, a, on a 235 white, for example, and then I know I have exactly the separation between a, a white with detail on, on the dress and the, and the burnt white on the background. Okay. When I put the, for example, when I put the background on a 250, I know it's just white and not far overexposed, so I, I try to keep all my values below 255, otherwise I have no idea well, what's what's happening. You know. I do meter the light, but I make it later, and I make it with the software and not with a, with a normal light meter or a spot meter. Now, just quickly to clarify for our listeners, when he's talking about the 255 and the 253, he's referring to the RGB values, or the gray value measured in a 255 uh, scale, so that way he can determine that 255 would be a white background. The, the digital file goes up to 255, but if the, the RGB values shows me 255, I don't know is it white or is it 10 episodes over. Okay. So I try to have a clean white, uh, let's say a, a background, which is not showing any detail. If I put this on a, on a 253, for example, I know it's it's burnt, it doesn't show any detail, but it's not far overexposed. So this means I don't get any flare in the lens, for example, I don't get an effect from the background on the model. So this would be about a 250, 253 white. But then on the model, I would put a 235, 240 white, more or less. And this is 
let's say a very very bright gray or dark white it's still clean but it shows detail so you're doing a tour of the united states and you're teaching classes what are the classes like in your your seminars that you're going around with on this trip it's strictly only about people photography and depending on the location where i shoot in it's uh, maybe two-thirds or 50 percent on on portrait beauty photography and the rest is on, on half body or full body fashion so I basically talk about uh, what you're talking, you know, how can I modify light, how can I play with light, how can I get path gradations, soft gradations, uh, gradations, um, how can I treat the skin, how can I make the skin shiny, how can I make the skin matte. But it's definitely, it's four hours about people lighting. Okay. Real quick while we have you there, since you had just mentioned it, how do you make a skin shine in a photo? Like in the fashion world right now, it's like seems very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing, of course, is, is the makeup. That I don't, I, I need some makeup, of course, but I don't put tons of makeup on the skin. Uh, something that was done maybe a couple of years ago, and now I just actually ask for a very simple, very natural makeup. Then just with the distance, again, at the size and the distance of my light shaper to the face, I can adjust very, very precisely the, the reflections on the skin. Very quickly, the, the further away I go with my light, the, the brighter the, the light shape itself becomes and the brighter the, the reflections are. And the closer I get with my light shapers, then I can reduce the power when I get closer. And this means that the direct reflection of shiny skin and in the eyes, on, on lip gloss, they become less dominant. So basically nothing else than when I adjust, when I play with the distance from the light shaper to the face, which is I can adjust the amount of, of shine I would like to have on the skin. Further away is more shiny, closer by is less shiny. Ah, okay. Well, excellent. Urs, I really appreciate you sharing with us some of the things that you've obviously gotten to know very well, your equipment and your technique is really remarkable. And we're going to try to get some images of yours in the show notes for our show so that people mm -hmm. can see your work and understand how, what you're speaking of. But I just wanted to thank you for, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to you. We do have a, tr a bit of a tradition on our show. We like to ask a few fast questions that you can answer with one or two words. Okay. Are you up for that? I try it, yes. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, let's begin with what kind of camera do you shoot with? Um, all different kinds. of. Also, I have a, a new camera, medium format, and uh, I'm traveling right now with, with, a, with a small 35mm digital camera. It's all digital. It's 100% digital. Okay. But I don't want to mention brand names here. Okay. Sure. That's no, that's... <laughs> if you had one lens that you had to take with you on this workshop, which one would it be? It would be a 120mm macro. And that's for the 35 No, that's for medium format. Okay. So, okay, great. What would be the name of a photographer who inspires you? One name. <laughs> you can give us two if you'd like. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I, I don't go by, by names too much, you know. It's a, we had, recently we had lots, lots of, of, uh, of advertising from, from Marcus Klinko, and I, I have to lie when I would say that he does not inspire me. Okay. <laughs> but I look at many, many magazines. I, I don't really read, uh, read the, the names of photographers below. This can be an unknown name. That inspires me, so I just look at the pictures and less at the names. That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've had the opportunity to shoot in, in amazing locations. What will probably be one of your most memorable locations that you've had a, a photo shoot in? 
I think for me the number one location is Cape Town. Okay, great. That's a wonderful city. It's always windy, you always fight with wind, but it's uh, <laughs> one of the best places to shoot, I guess. My friends in Cape Town are going to love to hear that. Okay. <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you. You're welcome. I thank you very much. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes at studiolighting.net for the things that we talked about on today's show. And there you can also find links about our photography and keep up with the stuff that we've been shooting. And don't forget you can send us feedback or questions about the show to studiolighting at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer those questions on the show or in the lighting questions section on studiolighting.net. You can also get feedback on your photography in our Flickr group, which is at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source. Till next time. Take care. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.